Have you ever thought about how the interconnected revelation applies to the marital relationship? This month, we are diving into mental, physical, and spiritual connection within the context of marriage. Today's guest is clinical psychologist, Dr. William Labrizi, who has been one of my most influential professors from graduate school. Dr. Labrizi has extensive clinical experience running his own successful practice while incorporating an integrative approach to helping people heal both mentally and spiritually. He's also taught in higher education for over 10 years. Today, we're focusing on mental health and how to cultivate a healthy Christ-centered marriage from the inside out. Are you in a season where you're longing for more, desiring inner peace, hoping for more authenticity in relationships? Perhaps you're feeling unsettled inside, like you know that God is calling you deeper, higher, and further than you've ever gone before. You are ready for change, and it's time for something to shift. But what is it? What's been missing? My name is Amber Todd. I am a Christian counselor, and I believe that you were never meant to live a disconnected, segmented life. You were created for connection, deep, authentic, healing connection. First, within yourself, because your mental, physical, and spiritual health is interconnected. This is why I love collaborating with doctors and like-minded holistic practitioners who honor God's design for our whole being to function and operate in harmony. Life Interconnected Podcast is an intentional space you can come to every week to receive encouragement, hope, and a fresh perspective on your internal world so that you better understand your thoughts and emotions and how to live a connected life. Join this movement of mindful believers who desire to grow in our faith and cultivate a holistic approach to health and wellness. Subscribe to the podcast today and share it with your friends. Welcome to Life Interconnected. Hi, Dr. Labrizi. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Amber. Yes, I'm just so honored to have you here. And I said this in the introduction, but I want to say it here. You have been one of the most influential professors in my life and in my journey learning to be a counselor. And I'm just so grateful for the ways that you poured into me and the other students in that season of life. And I continue to learn so much from you. So thank you for the way that you've impacted my life. My pleasure. Yes. And one of the things that I have learned from you and carry with me is really your steadfast commitment as a psychologist and a clinician to really walk alongside people in excellence, honoring God's truth and his word and theology, and also the excellence of understanding psychology and how the brain is wired and using the techniques and tools that you've learned in your professional journey to help people. So I'd love just to hear from you about just your overall approach as a psychologist and as someone who owns a practice. How do you view helping the whole person and integrating those two very important parts of the way you approach people. Well, you know, when, when I started the master's program at Charleston Southern University uh, in master's in counseling, our phrase that was associated with that program was training individuals to be clinically competent and biblically sound. Hmm. Clinically competent 
and biblically sound. And I don't think that those are mutually exclusive. What I believe is that God is smart. Mm -hmm. God is smart. You know, we see this perhaps most evident in the call to circumcision. Mm. God called Abraham to circumcise his child, Isaac, on the eighth day. And for decades, centuries, the eighth day seemed like an arbitrary number until more modern science indicated that by the eighth day, the, the blood clotting properties were at such a degree where the child would survive a circumcision. Hmm. See, I think that's important because it speaks that just because we don't understand things, there's not wisdom behind it. And so that's a physiological example of God integrating a spiritual principle, circumcision, in a physiological time period that would be in the best interest of the baby. Mm -hmm. See, if we really believe God is smart, we will refer to the Apostle John as frequently as we refer to Sigmund Freud. And in fact, I think we will give precedence to the biblical examples. So the Bible tells us about anxiety, tells us about depression. It tells us about how to have meaningful relationships. It tells us about how to have a meaningful marriage. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's a certain degree of either folly or arrogance for us to not consider that as we consider all of the other really good resources out there. I counsel from a cognitive behavioral therapy approach, which is a very effective way to treat many things such as obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, anxiety disorder, phobias, mood disorders. It's, it's highly effective. And I use the techniques and strategies on a regular basis, but I also make room for God. I make room for God in my sessions by the leading of the Holy Spirit. The application of God's word and the power of prayer. Those things are obviously integrated when the client wants it. I don't just unilaterally make some assumptions. But I think clients that come to us are usually at their lowest points. Mm -hmm. And they often can look for hope. Mm -hmm. The Bible calls God the God of all hope. He does miracles. He changes people. So being a good steward to learn, to learn hard. I've always said God is not glorified in laziness. Hmm. And uh, often at times people can say, well, I'm trusting the Lord. What you really say is I'm being lazy. I don't want to do the work. <laughs> you have to do the work to hmm. learn it. Both learning good theology and learning good psychology. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that invitation because that is, you know, when we take personal ownership of our part of the healing and, and, and walking with God through the healing and depending on God, but also stewarding what he's entrusted to us. So what do you, when you think about, you know, people doing the work, you know, when it comes to healing, what is our part? And, and what is God's part? And how do we integrate those things in our in our healing journey? Well, I, th I think it's, it comes down in some cases to stewardship. You know, stewardship that I'm managing 
the opportunity that God has given us. You know, when you really think about it, um, the story of the Good Samaritan wouldn't have been included in the Bible if there wasn't a place called the inn. Counselors are the caregivers of the inn. Mm -hmm. And so we take care of our inn. Remember the story? He brought him to him and paid him. Now, he, the innkeeper was not the central person of the story because the innkeeper was making a living on the caring. The Good Samaritan wasn't making anything. He just was caring. Mm -hmm. But my point, I think, is are we taking care of our inn? Are we taking care of the place in which people come to get healing? I think uh, one of the ways we take care of our inn is, is a, a connection with the Lord. When you think about it, you know, our day, our clinical day starts in our time alone with God. Mm-hmm. You know, am I managing my private life well? Am I married, managing my marital life well? All these things have implications. When mm-hmm. Peter and John saw the man who was born crippled, he had an inability, clearly the scriptures say. Our clients come to us with inabilities. Mm-hmm. And what they said is, uh, silver and gold have we none, but what we do have we give unto you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. So number one, we care for our ends by maintaining close relationship with Christ. Number two, we maintain our ends by making sure that we are abreast of clinical interventions. We're constantly learning. We do really, really hard work. Yeah, It's diverse. Uh, I could, my 10 o'clock could be a 10 year old with OCD. My 11 o'clock, could be a 68-year-old who's going through some developmental issues. My my uh, my 12 o'clock could be a couple who's on the way to ending their marriage. Think about all those different developmental things that are there, those different um, population diversities, those different problems. And I'm trying to integrate good clinical care with all of those. It's hard work, and it takes ongoing learning and training. And listening to podcasts just like this to become a little sharper, to get a dimension of something that I never saw before. Yeah. Yes. So it's, uh, it's maintaining your in. And I think also asking uh, hard questions. If I'm finding my sessions are less effective, asking the question, why mm-hmm. all too often counselors blame the clients when they should probably on some level blame themselves a little bit more. Hmm. And say, what can I do differently next time? What am I possibly missing? Getting some good supervision or consultation, mm-hmm. I think, is an important part as well to maintain effective therapy. So practicing clinical competence and becoming biblically sound. Right. And I think that's such a, a beautiful marriage of those two things because, you know, ultimately science honors God because God created all things. And when we understand the science of the brain, we understand how um, the Lord made us in his image, then the word of God and the way God created us as his image bearers comes together in this way that is extremely powerful when we tap into our, our, our healing potential. And one thing you said, and I, I will always remember this quote from you, in grad school, I think it was in in the marital counseling class. And you mentioned this as one of your examples of your 12 o'clock. But when a couple comes to you on the brink of divorce, I remember you saying something along the lines of, 
Most couples who seek out marital counseling do so seven years too late. And so I'm just curious about that, you know, specifically kind of diving into this integrative approach to married couples and supporting their marital connection. What do you see a pattern of in terms of when couples reach out and what have you kind of learned from observing that, that process? Well, I think, I think uh, couples, unfortunately, uh, usually reach out a little bit later. And, and it's not necessarily because they don't want a better marriage. They have become um, desensitized to their marital pathology because of the busyness of life, you know? Mm. And so I, I definitely, um, most couples that come to counseling really do want to rectify their marriage, but they don't really know how because it's been, it's been so long mm-hmm. that they've really felt connected. I was trained under John Gottman and um, he talks a lot about developing a, uh, a positive sentiment override Mm. couples. When they come in, honestly, they are often low in hope and Mm -hmm. high in conflict. Right. Mm -hmm. And we, when we look at the, the family life cycle, we do see at around year four, conflict levels rise and intimacy levels drop and it's fairly predictable and a lot of it is just because of external stressors it's the it's the job that's become more significant i have a one or two children at this point and i've got a mortgage and so there's a re reshuffling of prioritization but one of the things i like to do is help couples reflect back on the early years the years when there was a positive sentiment the years in which uh, what I describe is those files are way in the back of that file cabinet. They're there. But I think as a good clinician, you're helping them to recapture that sense of who they were. Um, so uh, if they're believers, uh, you can definitely look to the scriptures. Uh, those are very powerful mechanisms of change. And let me tell you why. Marriages that are um, that are ill are so because they become self-centered. Their internal dialogue is, I don't deserve this. Mm. Their internal dialogue is, I can't believe he or she is doing this again. When we cause them to shift their focus from themselves and their violations to the word of God, um, love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Mm Love is patient. Love is kind. Now, my responsiveness to my partner is a function not of what he or she deserves. It's a function of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a very subtle shift that happens in your perspective that is transformational for the marriage. If you can help them do that. If they're believers, it's easier to do that. You can go to the word of God with that. If they're non-believers, you can do what we'd almost describe as motivational interviewing where you, through the interview process, you help them see the value, the practical value of thinking about the other person over yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. And it, you know, it makes me think of, as you're describing this idea of getting to the point where there's this negative sentiment um, and recalling, Again, the power of recalling testimony, recalling the early days of what that was like before things 
started feeling tense and negative. Could we say from a spiritual perspective, it's almost like I, I think those moments when you and I both see couples sit down who have, they're carrying all this tension, there's become a root of bitterness or hardness of heart. Can you speak to this, the spiritual implications of that, of not tending to your heart and of, of allowing it to get to that point where the walls have gone up and why it's so important to address that sooner than letting it fester and build up? One of of the paradigms I've used that's provided really just kind of an overall structure to the therapy that I do with couples. I'm a cognitive behavioral therapist, therefore the work of John Gottman fits really well for me. But the general structure that I use, that's kind of in the back of my mind as we kind of navigate from session to session, is what I describe as the five Ps. The five Ps. The first P is managing the past. And when we look at the past, we are looking at sins of omission and sins of commission. In other words, what did my spouse do that I wish they didn't? Infidelity, broken trust. Then the sins of omission. What did I need my spouse to do that they failed to do? They, they failed to provide a nurturing home for me. They, provide, they failed to provide um, words of affirmation and validation. So we look at the first P is addressing the past, to your point. Mm-hmm. And uh, we do a ritual of forgiveness. Uh, we usually give them some homework and write down uh, what uh, your partner has done that, or they failed to do that was problematic. So we try to immediately address that. Why? Because, you know, the Bible says that we need to beware lest a root of bitterness springing up, defiling many, and cutting you off from the grace of God. Think about that. Mm. Unforgiveness is the only thing that God indicates will cut you off from God's grace. The only thing. Mm. I like to tell people, you could you could steal from a bank. And you could murder. But God will forgive you for that. But unforgiveness. The second P is um, uh, psychopathology. If one of the partners has severe psychopathology, particularly personality disorders, it's going to be extraordinarily difficult to navigate that. It doesn't mean it can't be, but we have to make room in the treatment plan for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three is um, perception. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always say the difference between I do at the altar and I won't at the attorney's office is mm-hmm. I changed my mind about you. I mm-hmm. changed my perception. Uh, The next P is uh, practical skills. Part of therapy is teaching effective communication, Mm -hmm. teaching how to be empathetic, understanding, caring, teaching how to problem solve. And the last P is your personal relationship with Christ. How is your walk with the Lord? Um, It's hard to be a loving spouse when you have a broken relationship with God. Mm-hmm. So managing the past is critical for moving forward. See, it's hard to develop. It's kind of like when John Gottman describes positive negative sentiment versus negative sentiment override. Uh, working with a couple where there's significant unforgiveness is like running a marathon in peanut butter. You'll make <laughs> progress. It's just going to be a lot harder. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that. I mean, that's a high, 
a high level of accountability, you know, in, in one's individual heart to recognize that to really show up and want to do the healing work, you have to first be willing to say, God, search me and know me. And to bring those things to the light, to allow God to um, call to repentance. As you said, unforgiveness being one of the number one things that can hold us back from truly experiencing um, freedom and peace um, in the way that that God has intended for marriage. And I think as I, as I hear you list those, the five P's, one thing that also sticks out that I learned from you in grad school is I remember you talking one day to us about this, this daily rhythm that is really important for couples to have. And, and you mentioned the four times a day that couples should really (laughs) pause and see each other eye to eye. And I'm telling you this impacted Nate and I in our early years of marriage, as I learned this from you. So will you share what that is? What are those four moments a day that every couple really needs to stop and connect with one another? And how do they do that? Well, one of the things I was thinking about uh, as we reflect on understanding integration, um, you know, conflict is really hard on the body. In fact, uh, studies suggest that anger is as bad, if not worse, than smoking on your cardiac health. Hmm. So, you know, God didn't design us physiologically to be in disharmony. Mm-hmm. That's a consequence of the, of sin, and, and it's really a consequence of neglect. So being in harmony is really important for your body. I remember one time I was um, working with a couple, and I would used to, this is before uh, smartwatches came out, and I used to do heart rates, uh, regu- and we would discuss topics, and we would look at their heart rate because I was teaching them the importance of self-soothing. Uh, mm. During periods of flooding, now I'll never forget this one uh, patient of mine. She her heart rate just spiked when they were talking about something of significance. But it's a clear indication that conflict is not good for our physiology. I love what Paul, uh, excuse me, what Moses said in Galate in uh, Deuteronomy. He said, uh, "These commands I have given you for your own good," and that is really true. We have to help people understand that the commands of God are for our own betterment. There to cause us to function in the most healthy of fashions. Now, what makes us successful, whether it's in our marriage, whether it's in our finances, whether it's in our health, is not intentions. Uh, it's not in um, interests. It, and it's not even in periodic effort. It, it rests solely on the idea of habits. Habits determine everything. And so 16 minutes to a better marriage is a habit. It's the first four minutes when you wake up together. What's your disposition like? Oh, I had a horrible night's sleep. You know, I don't want to go to work today. That sets the tone. The last four minutes when you separate for the day, you know, studies show the impact of a goodbye kiss and a Mm. welcoming kiss. In the next four minutes, when you reunite at the end of the day, and, and it's what's interesting is that first four minutes sets the tone for the morning. That third four minutes sets the tone for the evening. Mm, wow. and, you know, Solomon said life and death are in the power of the tongue. Mm-hmm. James talks about, you know, how the, the tongue is a, uh, a fire 
that can set great things ablaze. And then the last four minutes before you go to bed, you know, uh, John Gottman describes them as rituals of connecting. Uh, we have daily rituals of connecting. They, they can include those, those four, 16 minutes. My parents used to have coffee together at the end of uh, dinner. The kids from a family of six, the kids would go about and do what they wanted to. And my parents would sit at the dinner table, have a mm-hmm. cup of coffee and just talk, catch up on their day. Their daily rituals of connecting. There's weekly rituals of connecting. Mm-hmm. My cousin uh, consistently for years posts on social media where her and her husband went out on a date on Friday night. Mm-hmm. Every Friday night, we see them somewhere located in New Jersey on their <laughs> date. We- weekly rituals of connecting. And, you know, weekly rituals of connecting can be something as simple as watching a TV show that you guys enjoy watching or uh, doing yard work and then maybe at the end of that day of yard work on Saturday, we we go get a bite to eat. But the rituals of connecting, right? It's about habits, mm-hmm. habits of harmony. Uh, then there's monthly rituals of connecting and, uh, and then also annual rituals of connecting. My wife and I are putting together our uh, 35th anniversary uh, get-together in July. We're going to go and do something fun. Annual. We do it just about every year. We do something mm-hmm. special for our anniversary. So, um Rituals of connecting are critical for having a healthy marriage uh, because, again, these are couples that come to our office. These are not bad people. They're just like you and me. Mm-hmm. They've become distracted. They've become, um, unfortunately, at times seduced by the ideas of the world of wealth and power. And in pursuit of that, they forget the most important things. Solomon said it best. He said, it's better to have a house with vegetables and harmony than (laughs) great feasting and strife. Solomon gave us the priority. The priority is relational harmony is better than financial prosperity. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you you have to choose the two. Right. Yeah. The, The seasons where your priorities are tested and it's a choice. And sometimes I think there are seasons where you have to reorient as a couple and Nate and I, I mean, we really took to heart what you said. And we now we're going on seven years of having a weekly date every Wednesday morning. <laughs> Our kids go to my, my in-laws and we, we connect, we hold space for each other. We talk about, we, we, we do our business talk, which is like the things that relate to running our family and parenting and logistics. And then we just date one another. We enjoy coffee or lunch together. And that has been, that rhythm has been crucial for our marital health. And when I think about connecting in rhythm and having these rhythms of connection, could you speak to the idea of connecting mentally, physically, spiritually, and how do all three of those um, become important to the, the marital relationship? Well, I, I do find that couples that have a fairly equal intellectual level seem to do a little bit better. Um, that, it, that couples that have a closer, a closer intelligence level, okay? So we're really talking about their capability to, to talk meaningfully about things. Doesn't necessarily mean they have to have the same education level, but they need to at least have the capability to speak deeply about topics, whether those are topics of faith, whether those are topics of the news. Um, 
but it you know a lot of connection could start in uh, in in what we're talking about the conversation. And I think the the spiritual piece is important, and and I think if you can combine that, you know, spending time together in the morning, um, sharing with one another what the Lord has spoken to you, if not, you know, maybe reading. Uh, the Bible together or reading a book together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the physical, you know, I think um, I would, I would say probably non-sexual touch is probably more important than sexual touch. Mm-hmm. Sexual touch is important, but do we hold hands at church? You know, mm-hmm. when, we're, when we're watching TV, are we next to each other mm-hmm. sitting there? Um, you know, marriage is, is like a bank account. And we are constantly depositing or withdrawing. Um, Proverbs says, he that gathers money little by little will have great wealth. And I think that the same thing is true for marriage. It's just these small connection points. Um, And I would have to say, you know, phones can be quite problematic to those connection points. They, They really are. And I think we need to be. Uh, prudent about that mm-hmm. so for example talking about rituals of connecting as soon as we get in the car does one of us go on the phone uh, when we're sitting around are we on the phone it, it's it's really quite problematic and i think uh, it it reduces our capacity to communicate effectively number one yeah. in terms of connecting mentally I like to tell couples, uh, you, you have to allow your partner space in your mind. Uh, there's a technique we use in John Gottman's research called developing love maps. Mm. And developing love maps is, is really kind of checking into how well am I aware of what my partner is going through? So being able to ask yourself, what, what's your partner's three biggest stressors right now, right now? What, what would you say are some of your partner's hopes for the future right now? It's the conversations that we have in the car over breakfast really gives us the capacity to develop those love maps for our mm-hmm. partners. You mm-hmm. know, um, we always say that sex begins in the kitchen. <laughs> and I think what it really means is that those connection points really do occur in, uh, for lack of a better term, non-romantic contexts, mm-hmm. right. you know, and um, being able to build that. Yeah. So th- those are, I think, some some techniques and some considerations when developing a more meaningful connection, both uh, from a mental, a spiritual, and a physical. And I also think doing physical things together is important. I know that's not really referring to sexual things, but uh, being able to experience a wide range of activities together, I think, is really important, whether that be hiking or biking or uh, shopping, you know, experiencing life together is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like becoming becoming friends, I know that sounds obvious, but I feel like Nate and I had a huge shift in year seven where we really just became partners and friends in a deeper way because of these things that you're talking about really learning um, how to come alongside one another and to in some ways differentiate but also to champion um, to champion one another what would you have any just kind of final words of encouragement for couples who 
are just feeling stuck. They, you know, they're doing okay, but they're just not quite where they want to be. You know, what would be your, your encouragement or hope that you would give them? Well, I think first, the very fact that you can identify some level of discontentment in the marriage is a good sign that you are relationally healthy. Mm. I, I worry about the ones that fail to feel. Mm. Number one. Number two is, uh, I, th- I think it's always important to understand context and seasons. You know, there's just, you know, there's some seasons that are just going to be less dramatic. Uh, that's part of, it's part of life. Mm-hmm. And the Bible says that the sons of Issachar were wise because they understood the times and the seasons. And so mm-hmm. you might have four, five kids raising them busy. And you just don't have the same pop that you used to. I think it's critical to talk about it. And I think it's critical to collaboratively identify very small incremental changes you can make mm-hmm. and then get to work with that. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think um, marriage really is a marathon and I get concerned when people want to do dramatic things. Mm-hmm. to create dramatic changes. Uh, sometimes I think it's just doing the next right thing. Now, you know, if, if, if it is necessary for some interventions, you know, find a good Christian counselor that can help you navigate through that or talk with your pastor. Uh, you could read a book uh, together uh, that can just uh, enhance marital dialogue. I'd probably suggest that as a kind of a first step. Yeah. A good Christian book to enhance marital dialogue and uh and be persistent yeah it's where it's really it's really worth it i always tell couples by the time they come to me i say well you know look um uh, we can do two things we can do really really hard work and get divorced or we can do hard work and get reconciled Hmm. we're not leaving this office without hard work you just choose what type of hard work you want to do wow and and it is, you know, I think, I think marriage, uh, marriage is, um, I think it's hard because it's intensely spiritual. It's really about, uh, you know, becoming selfless and loving another human being more than you love yourself. Wow. And isn't that the ultimate example of Christ and that's right. You know, what, what he the example he gave us and and that we can live that out in our marital covenant. And that's powerful when we can learn to die to ourselves over and over again and experience the love of Christ over and over again through the person that God has entrusted to us. And, and, you, and it's well put Amber. He has entrusted this person to me and, um, when you really think about it, you know, God said it's not good for man to be alone. Mm-hmm. This whole thing called marriage was his idea. Mm-hmm. And it came because of his love for his people. And so your partner is, in fact, a gift. Yeah. And if we see that person through that lens, I think we'll treat him differently. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's worth it. It's worth it. Um, we, we know that people that are married uh, tend to live longer day or tend to be more satisfied and uh, actually die with more money. So, 
it is bonus. a good thing. And, <laughs> and, you know, for people that have maybe have not been fortunate enough to be married uh, or stay married, because there's a lot of really good people that unfortunately go through a divorce. Mm-hmm. You know, there is, there is hope. There's hope in Christ. And um, he's there for you. Mm-hmm. If, that's, if that's something yeah. you've been through. Yeah. I appreciate that encouragement. And we appreciate your time. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and expertise. And I really have learned so much and continue to learn so much from your perspective and experience. So thank you. My pleasure. Here's a sneak peek for next week's episode. One of my favorite doctors is back, Dr. Christopher Stroud and OBGYN. And we are chatting about intimacy, sex, physical connection within marriage. I can't wait for you to hear this fascinating conversation. I will see you next week. Thank you so much for sharing this space with me today. I want you to know that God sees you. You are loved, valued, and important. If this podcast helped you, it would mean so much if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and text or post a screenshot with your friends who can join our mindful movement of believers. Let's live intentionally as God designed life to be interconnected. I'm cheering for you. We are in this together, and I look forward to next time.